Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Tonight, we got them. Goldie and the Salt. We're going to sound the alarm. And it starts right now. Oh, welcome back to another episode of a typical disgusting display, a podcast for writers by writers who hate writing. And we just started the ship when Goldie was just running down the gangplank, and you jumped on right as it started. It's the closest I'll ever get to being like a space captain leaving space dock. Just nice. talking about pinball wizards and supple wrists. <laughs> you were, you were, I wish, I wish you were to, doing it because you were oh, trying to open your quick time player. Yeah. yeah. Quick time player, there has to be a twist. Quick time player's got such a supple wrist. How do you think he does it? Lotioning his wrist. No, I meant the pinball. Oh, I thought he has supple wrists. First thing I noticed, look at those things, they're just so supple. I'm commenting on supple wrists, even though this is the 60s, no one thinks that weird. Please get back to pinball. (laughs) That's fantastic. And you had said something in the, before we started about, like... Let's lay them on the table. Let's see yeah. those supple wrists. <laughs> oh my God. I told everyone, show them your supple wrists. <laughs> that doesn't look that supple. What are you talking about? Those are way more supple than yours. Why are we talking about supple wrists? I don't know. I can't remember who brought it up. You definitely brought it up. No, I think it was all of us. For those of you listening, first of all, that was hilarious. Second of all, that is absolutely vintage Goldie style humor to latch on to one weird thing about something you know and just absolutely ride it till the horse dies. But it's great. Oh, that is awesome. I'd never thought about that. The supple wrist. Really? That is weird. It's all I think about if you bring up the who. It's like the only thing I can think about. (laughs) <laughs> the supple, supple wrist. Yeah. Uh, well, that's now that's all I'll think about. So that's very funny. Um, what's also mildly humorous, as you two can see in the Zoom box, uh, I I got a haircut this week. And, it's nice. Um, well, mm. yeah, I know. You know, I I'm more on the Goldie camp than okay, than the okay. it's nice. And also the tone of your it's nice was it's nice. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, maybe I maybe I don't need hair. When I look at that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if I can help one person. I was thinking to myself, uh, because of your thing about the stock market and they only show bald people when it goes down, is there a day when the stock market just goes sideways? 
because that's Ooh. what they would use my hair for. <laughs> <laughs> Stock market inexplicably goes sideways. <laughs> I mean, at the end, hair. you know, because there's always that's that so ta-da moment with haircuts when they're done. They like literally yeah. whirl you around. Yeah. Did, <laughs> to don't. Did the... Did, <laughs> Did the person who gave you the cut try to sell it, or did they know they had nothing when they, no, when they unveiled well, well, it? Here's the thing, and I, I want to say in this person's defense, his his name happens to be Guy, which is hilarious. So Guy, <laughs> I get my hair cut by a guy. Um, he's he's fantastic. He's done like my last half dozen haircuts, and. They've been great, like each one better than the next. I've been really loving them. But this time, and I noticed it right away, and this just goes to like kind of like what a pussy I am because it's my fault. I noticed right away when you come back to the chair, and Goldie, I'll just fill you in on this. You come back to the chair, your hair is wet. <laughs> oh, so, <okay>. yeah, so, <laughs> so, and that's when they, the guy, guy literally puts a part in your hair and starts, everything happens from there. I noticed when he did the part, it was like an eighth of an inch or less, like a sixteenth of an inch <laughs> closer into the middle of my forehead than it usually is. I oh. noticed it. I, I said, should I say something? I'm like, no, he's so great. He'll do it. But I should have said something. And he oh. just went from there. So the part was too far in the middle. And now I've overcorrected. So it's it's Wait, way off. The, it? It's 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 very, uh, it. as I said to Goldie earlier, yavol mine hair. Yeah. Because it's, it's very Hitler. Spent. Clark Spann. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lois. I can't cover that story tonight. <laughs> um, yes, this, the Metropolis winds have blown. It, like uh, Radiohead said, you know, her Hitler hairdo is making me feel ill. <laughs> and that's, that's where I'm at right now. It, it looks like a good toupee. It does. <laughs> it looks so much like a toupee. It's crazy. Looks it's just like... like you can see the seam, kind of. It doesn't look natural. It's resting somehow. It's just resting. Why are you wearing product? It's a very Jewish. It's a very Jewish thing to not come, not say anything while it's happening, and then complain endlessly when it's yes, over. Yes, I know. All right. Well, in, instead of making it endless, let's let's move on because uh, we also wanted to talk a little bit about uh, House of the Dragon. Spoiler alert. Because we're about to talk about House of the Dragon, if you don't want it to be spoiled for you, just skip ahead a couple minutes. And also, the spoilers are not spoiling anything that great. So <laughs> maybe just listen and don't skip ahead. Yeah, well, you should have watched it by now if you even give a shit. So, which I know you and I are watching. Are you watching, JC? I'm not. I haven't watched anything. Oh, wah, wah. Okay. I thought Dragon in the name. That's good for there. the podcast. <laughs> Wait, can I, can I watch that without having seen? No. No. No, so just watch it would eight, be, eight seasons of Game of Thrones. It would be awful to watch yeah. it without having seen Because the only reason, I, I'll go first, the only reason I'm hanging on is my allegiance to Game of Thrones and my hope that they'll recapture any of the magic that they oh. seem to have to completely fumble away within seven episodes or however many we've seen. Oh, that's interesting. That, that Okay, so that's where you come down. Well, see, my thing is, obviously, with you, loved Game of Thrones, but we forget the last, like, three, two and a half seasons were not awesome. They had no, moments. No, we don't. They were terrible. Right. <laughs> yeah, they were really, they were a disappointment. It didn't end well. So this, to me, it feels like, this is better than the end of Game of Thrones, but it's not as good as when Game of Thrones was great. That's the way I feel about it. Okay. I feel like 
I went to a restaurant and had the most incredible meal I'd ever had. The dessert wasn't great, but the dessert they probably make somewhere else anyway. <laughs> most restaurants, they, they don't care about dessert. They're showcasing the chef. Then I told everyone how good the restaurant was, and now we've gone back for a second meal, and I'm like, I don't even know that the restaurant's very good. (laughs) No, it's like that? Yeah, well, that's, I mean, God, the analogy's funny, but the problem with that is the dessert you speak of was the fucking culmination and ending of that show, which you wanted to be great. Right. And it's you don't go into dessert like, I God, I hope this dessert nails it. You know, it's sort of all extra. Right. Uh, no, nah, but you're full. You're full. I, and we, you're, we an, were and you're full. an adult. So you're, you, you go, this shouldn't be that important to me. Yeah, dessert <laughs> should not be that important. <laughs> well, I, I'll get a little nuts and bolts here for a second. Yeah. So they, in between episodes four and five or five and six, yeah. They replaced three of the actors oh. advanced in time. Yeah. But made them kept older. most of the same actors. And the ones they replaced were critical. Yes. And it sort of makes no sense they did that. So, you know, if it had been in between seasons and you come back and you make the leap and you say, okay, we're now portraying these people with different actors, that's one thing. To, yeah. to, it was so jarring to me and unforgivable and distracting. And then it's kind of like, now I'm looking at everyone going, wait, is that the same actor? Is that a different actor? And it makes right. you wonder, oh, was their performance so bad they were fired or something? Yeah. Or they you know? just couldn't do the makeup? I don't, you know what I think? I think... So, and I I agree with you. It was jarring and I didn't love it. Like I had become kind of attached to the younger versions of those uh, actors. I liked them. They were good. I liked them. Yeah. That blonde girl in particular was really good. And uh, please edit out anything that makes that sound inappropriate. But she was excellent on the show. (laughs) Yeah. Really good. And now they've kind of, I think they had to recast because my suspicion is that blonde girl might be just that a girl and they're going to have a lot of sexual scenes going forward okay i think so two things yeah uh number one they well this goes to a larger point okay uh realize i don't know any characters names at all (laughs) rhaenyra is the blonde girl rhaenyra i just call her that girl and then the king's the king (laughs) and then the husband's the husband like i marlo thomas was that the sea people uh you you know i'll just be using whatever terms they they i use in my head fish face fish (laughs) face all that stuff so she already and let's be blunt got fingered by her uncle (laughs) <laughs> yes. Uh, right. So oh, yeah. the girl? Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. yeah. In the show, <laughs> I hope. I hope that I hope that was done as part of the show and not just put in out. <laughs> right. Hey, look what look what's going on over here. Start rolling. But I have never watched a show that so gleefully lingered on things that were so unpleasant. Like yeah. if you want to show uncle sex. I understand you want to move the point forward, but this, they laid out a beautiful sunset. Yeah. They're they're practically playing, you know, like the mamas and the papas music. (laughs) And then they're just 
making it look so glamorous to fuck your uncle on the beach. Right. <laughs> I hated that. I, all I kept thinking of when they were like walking on the beach was just like summer loving happened yes. so fast. Yeah, you want to? You think you're gonna hear Frankie Avalon yeah, as, right. as this uncle fucks his niece? And yeah. you just go, this is really unpleasant. I, are you playing some kind of joke on me? I get. Oh, it's of the time because even when they did it in Game of Thrones, like the Lannisters. Yeah. Jamie Lannister was a very charming character in other ways. Yes. And they, they showed you funny things. And, like, Peter Dinklage was great comic relief on that show. Right. But this show is just so grim. And then it's like, and then watch this woman fail to have a baby. And you just kind of right. go, <laughs> it's like, why? Yeah. This, this could be way shorter. Like, you're really testing my friggin' patience. And I <laughs> like this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, it's interesting. And I think maybe because I am also watching the Lord of the Rings show, which I know you have no interest in, Mm -mm. but they're on Amazon. And those are, to my mind, so much worse than House of the Dragon, which seems like legit, you know, hardcore artistic and like trying, whereas the Lord of the Rings is such a mess. It's just, it's really bad. So House of the Dragon for me already is better by comparison. It's not Game of Thrones, but no, I, I, I'm I'm going with it. I mean, some of the dragon shit they have has been great. Like just the the, the CG is improved. It's so much. desperate. It just reeks of desperation. <laughs> it's like, called look. House of the Dragon. The, and then they did things from a writing perspective. Episode one and two, it's it, it's like, oh look, the throne is cutting the king. He has these cuts they need leeches and then it's like fast forward 15 years he's alive so you just go what do i need yeah. to know that, that he had some cuts <laughs> right yeah long yeah, ago yeah, yeah. For. yeah it's true i i did i did not expect him to make the leap yeah uh yeah but he he spoiler alert he survived <laughs> all right so the, the the jury's out on house of the dragon because it could it could have a big fourth quarter we don't know yet the jury's out but they're not asking to see much evidence <laughs> it's 11 to 1 and the one yeah, but, wants but, to go but hey home. if the, if that one, if that one is Henry Fonda, he can turn it around. I've seen it happen. Um, let's talk for a second, Goldie, about something else, which, to my mind, is incredible television. In in L.A., there's a mayoral race happening, mm. and uh, it's highly contentious. So there, Rick Caruso, who to me seems like a sort of wolf in sheep's clothing, like Republican in disguise as a Democrat, running as a Democrat is running against this woman, Karen Bass, who's on, I, I don't know, the city assembly. She's on, you know, she's in politics already. And they are running Caruso, these attack ads on Karen Bass, because Karen Bass apparently gave a speech at like a, some church of Scientology function or oh. opening a church or something. And it's stunning to me how effective the ad is. It is the equivalent of a wrestler coming from the top rope. It is an absolute body slam of a political ad where they show her saying like, and we know that your religion embraces community and togetherness. And then it's a, you know, stark quote with somber music from the New York Times says, you know, Scientology is torturing its members and forcing them to have abortions. So it's an incredibly effective ad. And I'm rooting for Karen Bass. But I just feel like what what can she what do you do to get off the mat after after there's an ad like that? I, I saw it and I was stunned by it, but I didn't have the same reaction as you where I didn't think it was devastating at all, because to me, it looked like 
She's a member of the city council. They were It was at a church opening, it appeared to be, or an opening of some variety. And so you, in my mind, I just said, okay, someone was asked to go down there from the city and say some words. And she said some very sort of vaguely nice things about, we all want good things for the city and we all. And they just took the fact that she was there and then superimposed what we've sort of seen in documentaries about Scientology, about, you know, the way they treat lower members, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm wondering who this is directed to, because it's still a religion for a lot of people. You and I, and I think there's a certain variety of person who works in show business who has this attitude towards Scientology, like we've heard these things and, you know, people wonder, is it a cult? Is it this? I I don't really know, like my only personal experiences with people who are into it have been super pleasant. So I, I don't, you know, and there's, you could look at any religious institution and say there's abuse within the church. There, well, that's, that's it. Yeah. That is also Within true. the temple. So yeah. I thought that it was kind of a misfire by him to take any religion and sort of condemn it wholesale and try to, but it will know, work. Attack his opponent. With who though? Well, this is what we were talking about before. I think that's going to, I think it's going to play huge with a lot of people. I think it could be targeting like a minority vote. Like well, you're already particular... losing every Scientologist, so well, that's course, a sizable. But they're they're it's not sizable. I, but I don't if they think... all vote in a mayoral election, anything is sizable because yeah, of the lack that's of participation. True. But ah. I I have a feeling that that could be seen as you know. People who are devoutly religious for other religions, like so, they're going at Latin Latinos, you know, who are uh, very Catholic, and maybe even the Asian community who would say, like, I don't like Scientology. That's weird, you know. And I think that they're just going, reaching out, knowing L.A. is such a melting pot. They're bringing in a lot. I think a lot of people to his cause with that ad. Well, let me let me ask you this. Yeah. What if, say, Tom Cruise gets a bee in his bonnet about it and says, my religion is being attacked by Rick Caruso, and don't you think that will we'll mobilize I, I, more people the other way? Maybe. I, I think people don't like Tom Cruise when he talks about Scientology. I think they love Tom Cruise otherwise. Right. Obviously, the Top Gun, you know, was huge. The but, Top Gun. Yeah, and it was great. But I think that I don't know. I don't think that he wants to raise his head about that right now, and I don't think people want to hear him talk about it. Okay. But, well, second point is that yeah. Rick Caruso has really tried to bank on wealthy Hollywood supporters, very, very upper level executive and celebrity people, and and the sort of rank and file liberals like myself, and it sounds like you just. Yeah. Look at him and say, this guy's a phony. He's Trump, basically. He's pretending to be a de Democrat. But right. he now has to go into those people who do deal with people like Tom Cruise and John Travolta and need to leverage their relationships to get those people to be in their productions and their, mm. you know, and to affiliate with them. And could yeah. he conceivably be causing a bigger problem with his larger donors by doing that? Potentially. It's interesting. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Well, the one thing's for sure is we on this podcast, we definitely won't keep our eyes on that going forward. <laughs> and spe speaking of something we did not keep our eyes on, uh, we did not talk. We, we made a big deal to do a couple weeks ago about our football picks. Yes. And then we forgot to talk about them last week. But Goldie and I independent, independently made our own picks with each other. So I am happy to report for me that at this point right now, 
I am two and zero, oh, and Goldie is one and one. Okay. So he's already playing catch up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he I, made my that weekend was ruined. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, Goldie, do you have those odds in front of you? Because I let's make let's make our picks now. Because I don't, I don't, I want to work off the same odds as you. Okay. So here's my pick this week. Okay. I'm taking the Green Bay Packers, giving eight points to the New York Giants. I won the first week betting against the Giants. It's in Green Bay. The Giants may not have a quarterback, and Green Bay almost failed to beat the Patriots. I, they they got to come out and destroy the Giants to have any credibility. I think that's a good pick. I think okay. that's a good pick. I'm going to ride with the team that won for me last week, the Chadges, uh, right. as, as uh, road favorites. What is it, three? Three points. Three points Browns. in Cleveland. Yeah. So the, those are our picks. So okay. maybe Goldie will catch up. We'll right. see. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we're incredibly excited today because and i'm just going to give him what we call a soft intro right here that has nothing to do with the level of my voice but we're going to give rich appel a soft (laughs) intro because he's here he's been kind enough to step into the torture chamber of johnny jokes with us this week so rich thank you for being here and thank you for doing johnny jokes Mr. Appel, Rich, welcome, welcome to the show. And we, we, what would you like to do? Would you like to open it up for us? Uh, the guest can choose what spot they want to go in. Do they want to go first? They want to go in the middle? Do you want to go last? I'll go second. All Ooh, right. There nice. it is. I'll, I'll start us off. Wise choice. A yes. wise choice, especially when you see how well I'm going to warm up the audience. Ah, <laughs> uh, Boy, JC, get your finger ready because uh, rapper Coolio... Ooh. Passed away last week at the age of 59. He gone! Uh, yes, he gone. Uh, oh. When reached for comment, his barber said he's been dreading this for years. <laughs> no. uh, and But some good news. Uh, oh. Despite his death, uh, Coolio has been cleared to perform this Sunday by the Miami Dolphins team. Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I should have good. only done. I should have only done part B that's of that joke. I'm, I'm now seeing. That's solid. Uh, maybe <laughs> you heard this story. A nice one. A quick-thinking husband used an iPhone charger to tie his wife's umbilical cord after she gave birth on the way to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, and I'm pleased to report that the baby is happy, healthy, and linked via Bluetooth to a Kia. <laughs> <laughs> Just sounded like a Johnny Just turn of phrase. Just to say Kia. Yes, Kia is a very Johnny word. Here we go. Into the ones I'm less sure about. I, Actor, happy, healthy, and down to 20% battery. I don't yeah. know. I, I, I was in that area that, to begin you know. with. I, I, I think the okay. Kia made pushed it over the top for me. <laughs> Uh, actor Mark Hamill, known for his role as Luke Skywalker, has been named special ambassador to Ukraine in recognition of his vocal support of that country in its war against Russia. Uh, wait a minute. Does this mean Putin is his father? <laughs> hey, everyone. Moving on to the finale. So far, we've had one good one. Darth, Chalk it up. Darth Crater. Darth Crater. <laughs> Enough. Enough of this abuse. Here we go. Don't laugh. Uh, John Cena. Here's a nice one to end on. John Cena has set a Guinness record 
for granting over 650 wishes for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Wow. 650 wishes. Uh, That means somewhere out there today, there are close to 200 kids whose lives he's touched. (laughs) Saying most of them were dead, and Uh, I stumbled on the punchline. I'm saying most of them are dead, just to be clear. That's confirming my initial decision to go second. There you go. You could not be better by comparison. And I should say, I am not an impressionist. Uh, Give it your best shot. Neither am I. All right. So over the weekend, former President Jimmy Carter celebrated his 98th birthday by attending a parade in Georgia. Did you see that on the news? Yeah. Yeah. He was surrounded by Secret Service agents. Uh, Fellas, I think everybody who wants to take a shot at Jimmy Carter has died. (laughs) (laughs) And, And nobody wakes up thinking, hey, remember the guy who lost 44 out of 50 states? Let's teach him a lesson. <laughs> right. oh, I love it. I love right. it. You see, you see this in the news? Planned Parenthood has come out against the new Marilyn Monroe biopic, Blonde, mm. calling it anti-abortion, which surprised the studio executives who said, the movie's an abortion, and we paid $35 million bucks for it. <laughs> when, when he heard that, an outraged Herschel Walker said that could have paid for 50,000 abortions. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that, that is a compound yeah. joke. That was there great. You Thank you. Kim Kardashian, apparently the Kardashians, a pretty popular family. Anyway, <laughs> Kim was just fined one and a quarter million dollars by the Securities and Exchange Commission for not disclosing her connection to a cryptocurrency. Yeah, the SEC posted the news on its Instagram, and apparently the mere mention of Kim Kardashian's name got them a record four likes, (laughs) (laughs) which which has emboldened the FBI to investigate Selena Gomez for only murders in the building. (laughs) (laughs) And finally... so good. This is already eight jokes. (laughs) Yes. You see this? Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, Mackenzie Scott, has filed for divorce from her second husband, a junior high school science teacher. Mackenzie got $38 billion, that's billion with a B, from her first husband. And surprisingly, she's also getting half her second husband's net worth, bringing her total to $38 billion and half a baking soda volcano. My friend, you could go out today and get a much worse job if you want. That is the goal. That was fantastic. All right, Goldie, bring us home. Well, it's not looking good for Georgia Senate candidate Herschel Walker. Uh, First report surfaced that he paid for a girlfriend's abortion. Then his son posted a video saying Walker was an absentee father who abused him. Boy, I bet old Herschel wishes he'd paid for a second abortion. <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> oh, that was almost a norm. Well, it was worded like a Johnny, but sounded yeah. like a norm. I love it. <laughs> okay. Uh, former NFL receiver Antonio Brown exposed himself to a woman in a hotel pool. Yeah. And uh, if he's not careful, the Cleveland Browns may give him a quarter of a billion dollars. <laughs> That's a reference to Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. Mm. All right. 
yeah, it was touched on earlier. Uh, <coughs> uh, this past week, rapper Coolio died. Of course, it's inappropriate to make a joke at this time, since the body is still warmio. <laughs> and finally, uh, <laughs> Hurricane Ian absolutely ravaged the state of Florida, and uh, they're still assessing the damage. But experts say when all's said and done, they estimate Ian destroyed over $60 billion worth of Oakley's and cargo shorts. Goodness. Well, Warmio. Oh, boy. Warmio. <laughs> I knew that was going <laughs> to Oh, excellent. And Rich, Jesus Christ. Wow. I was. Wow. I had kind of been thinking all week, like, oh, Rich probably isn't going to do him. He's Mr. You know, he doesn't have to do this shit. But that was amazing. This is, this is how it. you get into Harvard and Harvard Law. Is you yeah. did last night between three episodes of Big Brother was right. Wait, you did wow. it in one night? <laughs> Well, yesterday afternoon and last night. Oh my god! <laughs> now, awesome. th- this is so discouraging. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm. You got sent to the good part of Vietnam. Is all I have to say. You were, you were in the base where oh, they're. Trust me, I had four deferments. I had so many deferments. <laughs> I, mean, I still haven't opened some deferments my mother got for me. Uh, flat feet, flat feet. <laughs> Want to come back next week and do it again? Uh, I might. Really god, fun. That was great. <laughs> they were really Jesus good. Christ! Yeah. Uh, well, that was excellently done. And now, as as I teased before, the soft opening. Here's the hard opening for our <laughs> guest today. We're so excited and honored to have him here. Uh, Rich Appel, as we will get into on, in the interview, has written for The Simpsons. He's written for and run, obviously, Family Guy. He created The Cleveland Show and ran that for many, many successful years and his backstory is one that you're really going to want to hear because it's unique, uh, it's inspiring, and it's awesome. So, Rich Appel, thank you for being here with us today. Well, I, I'm Welcome. thrilled. I just that after months and months of back and forth on scheduling, <laughs> I feel I have to say I feel. Remember when um, there was that grassroots campaign to get Betty White to host SNL? <laughs> yes, it's the same deal here, except instead of her millions and millions of fans. It was just me. Yeah. No. no well, we, we call that a grassroots campaign. That's a grassroots <laughs> campaign. But I think, isn't that what being a writer is all about? Crippling insecurity and envy. It's <laughs> well, carried then, me 28 years of this career. Then <laughs> finally getting something and realizing, oh, this is more work than I want to do. Oh, oh, trust me. There was a sense of, yes, the dog catching the car. I was... <laughs> And now let's get let's get a little portrait into the to your mind when you thought I was kidding that previously a few weeks ago we had your former assistant Jordan Ramp on as a guest. <laughs> yes. And I, I tuned in, I tuned in and I, no one nicer than no one. Ramp and a very talented writer. Very he doesn't yeah. want to be in the comedy area, he wants to do hour long, or we would have given him a job. He's a wonderful writer, wonderful guy. And yet <laughs> and yet, after my being my assistant, we promoted him to be a writer's assistant. Again, crackerjack writer's yes. assistant. Yes. Um, but there was a part of me, I'm not saying the forefront of my brain, but yeah, a am. part of my brain that, that did, it was I, it, it went something like this. David Goodman, Pete <laughs> oh, no. Callahan, Danny Smith, Gary. Oh, da- not Danny. No, you beat Danny. You beat Danny. Yeah. Gary Janetti, yes. well, I guess I just hear his voice. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. Lou Schneider. Oh, yeah. Steve Levitan. Well, of course, Steve Levitan. Right, right. Sure. And then I don't think all wonderful talented writers who've been doing this as long as I have. And then right into Jordan Ralph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All your friends and then your former assistant. <laughs> this I is like complaining like someone is ahead of you in line for the crew meal. And then you get the crew meal and you're like, Oh, it's just a crew meal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want those mashed potatoes on my plate. It's a funny podcast. I obviously uh, respect the two of you enormously, so I'm very happy to be here. Oh, thank you. What are your 15 favorite parts? I'm just kidding. <laughs> and we're, we're, well, I do. I, I, you know, I will let your listeners know that I take pride in being the person who gave Goldie his first job in scripted television absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah well let's and, and let's go right there every day i ch- i chip away at that pride when i come in <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. yeah go well rich tell us a little bit about that since you brought it up like do you remember when I, first meeting goldie and and how all that went how did he I get do. onto the Cle- this is the cleveland show you're talking about yes and and you know i'm not afraid of embarrassing goldie since i know he can absorb praise slightly Yes. <laughs> Mostly criticism, I know is his preference. But, um, you know, I, I always have said in running, I don't know how many shows and hiring, lots and lots of people that, you know, you can always, and you can, you can teach structure and certain storytelling conventions and devices. I can, Alec can, any writer who's been doing, you can't teach a voice and you can't teach originality. And so every time I've hired someone, I'll read 80 or 100 scripts, I'll have 60 no's, 15 maybes, and then you get one, and the maybes are instantly no's. Right. The one, and I will say, I remember Goldie, you had, I read two of your scripts. The script had a few story, like, wrinkles that you thought, but every other page, there was something original and funny, a voice that I wouldn't have come up with, and it's just a no-brainer when you see someone like that. And I will say not to, uh, it wasn't just me in the room, it was the other writers, but Goldie hit the ground running. Yes. And within three months was sore. And it was, he picked it up. It was the stuff, you read lots of scripts, you listen, yeah. to it's done, you get an idea. Oh, I need a little more conflict or I need an arc, whatever it was. Yes. But I still remember, and I always use this as an example of when you know in a writer's room and people are just pitching wildly to get, stories approved, sometimes it can just be a one or two liner. And the premise of the Cleveland show is Cleveland goes back to his hometown in Virginia to reconnect with his high school sweetheart. They marry, but she's got a teenage daughter who hates him, a smart alecky little son who hates him. And Cleveland's trying his best to work his way into that family. And we had an idea that he's got to do that in one of the early episodes. And Goldie just said, I'm paraphrasing, you know, Cleveland finally cracks through and bonds with the kids and decides he's going to go out and get an ice cream cake to celebrate. And as he's pulling out of the driveway, he runs over their dog and kills it. (laughs) 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 We're doing that episode. I haven't seen it. The stakes are real. Care about your dog. It could happen. And the challenge will be to make that funny with a little poignancy which yeah. he did. And it's one of my, but it's like when you hear that one liner, again, you dismiss another dozen you've heard that you just think I've seen some version of that, yes. but I've never seen the stepdad run over and kill the family <laughs> dog. That was, that's a great pitch, Goldie. 
Well, let me turn the tables a little bit because and <laughs> oh. praise you for a second. <laughs> because Ooh, I came in and this is something where I, I learned, you know, when you come from stand up and you come from late night, everything is just joke, 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 joke. And, and there's a lot of competitiveness that comes with that where you're not really working with the room. You're working against the room to up your joke count and win at the end of the day by getting the most jokes in. So everyone knows they can't fire you first. That's right. nutshell. So and stand up. <laughs> so I came in with kind of that mentality, I think, not really understanding how the writer's room is a team and it's rising tide lifts all boats. And I knew I was very strong in this one area, but when we started pitching on stories and when we got to script, I could see that there was a skill set that clearly other people had that I did not have. And you did something very nice for me, which was I handed in an outline for that episode. I've never gone back and looked at it. But you said, hey, can you come to my office for a second? And I was like, OK. And, and you said, look, when you do story and you're doing an outline, start by just writing the location and one sentence about what happens in the scene. Because you've gone way off track. Because I just was like, joke, 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 joke. And I was like, if I stuff this with enough jokes, he'll love me. And then I'll win. And they'll give me the trophy at the end of the year. And then you're just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like one scene at a time, one story at a time. And and then when I later went on and I had my own shows, even though those didn't work, I gave the exact same speech to the writers in my room where I said, don't like, we'll get the comedy together and you, and you'll kick it in yourself as well. But we need to get the skeleton. And to do that, you have to think, and I think maybe it's your legal background that you just go, get the logic in there. And and build the foundation, which I had no, and you very kindly expressed that to me without going, look, you well, moron, what the fuck is this? You do this long enough. I, a, a mentor of mine said to me early on, and I, I know I said it to you because I just, as any comedy writer, steal the stuff I like. Yeah, of course. That if you're writing, and I would say this to any listener who wants to write comedy, you know, every scene you do should do three things. It should move the story. It should reveal something about the character a character, and it should be funny. And some scenes can get away with only two of those three. And if you're only going to do one of them, it better be the biggest story turn or the funniest set piece because right. it'll die. And there's so many times I've been at a table read and every time it happens when you get halfway through and I'm reading the stage directions and you realize no one knows what the story is. They've laughed enough. Now they're tired of laughing. They don't. Yeah. It is the flop sweat you will never want to experience again. Yes. You just, you realize I'm not going to be wed to the jokes because that won't save me. And, but the other thing, and I, and I mean this quite sincerely, that I've always loved about Goldie, and it's, is he will go for it and he's not, uh, what's the right word? Not intimidated. It was like week three. It's one of my favorite moments in the first couple of months of the Cleveland show. And I had just gotten off the phone with some executive of the network who had said something, there's some executives I like, but who had said something <laughs> stupid. And so I, I'd answered the phone and the barrage of stupidity came my way. So I went into Kevin Biggins and Travis Bowe's office, which was bigger than the others, where writers hung out. And there were like six writers in there and Goldie was just sitting in the armchair by the door. And I said, I've got to tell you this insane conversation. I I had, and it was just as soon as I answered the phone, I'll be the executive. Goldie, you be me and just answer the phone. And Goldie then turned to me and said, answer it as you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I'm not, I, I, I'm not a performer, 
He then said the word hello <laughs> with such a devastating, parodic, like pitch perfect embrace of my like bow enthusiasm. <laughs> it was, and it brought the room down. And because I'm an honest person, there was no point in telling my story. I just, I can't forget the story. I, I retreated. But yes. Two syllables, and he destroyed me. I would never do that today. <laughs> Thank I, you for not firing me. I was I, out I over my skis Quite so many times. Quite the opposite. I had an alcohol is. problem. <laughs> well, it helped. But that's what you want in a writer's room. You want people not to worry how the stuff they say lands. Yes. Otherwise, they edit themselves. Uninhibited. And he certainly didn't edit himself. It was like week three. It, it was, was a different era because I, I think before you came in, we had been playing shirtless nerve hoop for like an hour. <laughs> wow. I just remember we were playing shirtless nerve. Oh, you can never God. anyway. A loose, a loose ship. I but you, assure. something that I'm, I'm always amazed by you is you have a, a like pitch perfect, voluminous memory yes. for just quotes, anecdotes, stories, show trivia things that happen. I like I cannot remember. A meal from yesterday. I couldn't re- recall three Cleveland episodes, and you every day come up with George Meyer said or this person said. How do you do it? Like I got your I got your spec script, right? I'm beginning to think it was a Law and Order. <laughs> <laughs> very funny Law and Order. Very very funny Law and Order. Yes, no, you do have an excellent memory. Like, do, you, do was that something that going through school and did, and and just did you notice that about yourself? No, and here's the thing. I know this is true of you, Alec. You, I've often said have ridiculous recall for movies, dialogue. When I first went to Family Guy, I had like a seven month uh, brief experience there before I went to American Dad. And in like a week, I came home and said to my son, it was a Star Wars nut. I was like, all right, mm. you got to tell me something about Star Wars because that's really <laughs> the coin of the realm. Something. Seth, <laughs> Seth and Alec wouldn't just quote favorite lines. They would do scenes from memory, like two, three pages worth of dialogue. And I'm just like, wow. I don't, I can't do that. But what I, I think I can do, and I think it does come a little bit from being a prosecutor as I was speaking to a jury, that when you're talking to a jury, you are telling a story. And it's the same thing, obviously, when we're breaking a story. And if you've got a story that has a beginning, middle and end, when you're telling it, if you came up with it, or if you were there to be a part of it, it kind of logically proceeds. So I think sometimes like, I knew when I was doing summations to the jury, I would know where I was starting and where I was going. And I would feel like I remember the story. Each step led logically in a way to the next without memorizing an outline or something in your head. Right, yeah. right. Now, and that's interesting because you nailed it perfectly where, you know, I can quote you a scene from the Goonies, but human interaction is very <laughs> un- unmemorable to me. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> which is endlessly frustrating. In well, I just house. say also your, your, your ability to, there are a lot of people who do comedy in the room and you're very good at that as well, but your ability to sort of host, say, a table read yes. or give a toast mm-hmm. at the, you know, 250th episode party. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Super funny and memorable. And that that stuff is so hard because, you know, the writer mentality is like, we'll gather all our jokes and then we'll we'll do it. And then, you know, but you seem to get up there and, and it it's it's this extra ability. And it's it's almost like 
a great stand-up MC, but almost the old school way of when they used to have these roasts and it was more elegant, you know? And, and so like, is that something that comes from being a lawyer or did you grow up or like where your parents raconteurs or? Yes. My father in particular, they, they were both professors and my father really the wittiest and, and uh, cleverest uh, person I knew. And often I, I just know myself in the moment stealing some of his cadence or uh, approach to stuff. But I think, you know, everyone has insecurities. The one thing I am confident about is I, I, I think I've got a good eye for talent. And Goldie's just one example. And I can think proudly of several writers uh, who had their first job working on a show with me. And I've got Aaron Lee, Abraham Higginbot. They're a group of some from the slush pile, some. And it's the same thing in the room. And I really do enjoy, this sounds a little too self-serving, but I really do enjoy celebrating good ideas. And it's it's fun. And I always say to people who ask about the writer's room, there's no science to it. It's not just, someone once said to me, well, if something gets a laugh, do you know that's definitely going in? And I always say, well, no, because it might not really work for the story or the scene. When you know something's good is when everyone wants a piece of it. It's like popcorn at the end of the table. It's like Goldie will say something, then three other people will add on. And before you, yeah. and you know, mm. all right, go back three. What did, what did, because that's the idea that sparked other good ideas. And that to me is the litmus test always in the room when you know something, you know, is worth stopping and working on. That's totally right. And Goldie, just to clarify, you came from the slush pile. I just think <laughs> well, we need to circle back for that. I will say as much as I trusted my own gut, Goldie, I did, I remember, call Alec who I knew was your friend. And I said, I wanted to hire Goldie, but I had a very limited budget. Mike and I both, I should say, Mike Henry and I both wanted to hire him, but we had a very limited budget. And I remember saying to Alec, if you were starting a show and you could only hire 10 or 11 writers, and Alec said, he'd be 12, but you won't find 11 good ones. No. <laughs> <laughs> he gave you as big an endorsement as anyone, and I trusted him completely. I believe yeah. it. I, well, when you were just talking about the room and, and you know, how many people started there, I, uh, one thing that fascinates me is that if you tried to assemble that room now, the budget would be like, you could well, never get all those people together again. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. But a lot of those people, it was their, you know, Kevin and Travis and you and Aaron, it was your first jobs. Yeah. I mean, just think of that. Amazing. Those four talented writers who've gone on to, you know, do many great things and some obviously at Family Guy. And it's it's just fine. You know, it's reading through 100 scripts or talking to friends who knew a stand up who said, did you see this short that someone did? Yeah. But that's one thing I tell if I go to new shows that I say to people is I say, look around and enjoy this because no one will ever be able to afford bringing us together in one room again. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. And, and but Rich establish a nice funeral tone for the whole season. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the first day of, of my last show, United We Fall, I remember, okay, I'm going to go into the room, and, you know, I, I wanted to be, like, very positive. I had some remarks I wanted to say about how the, the writers I picked were – sort of stealing what you said at the Cleveland show, the writers I picked, I, I got all my first choices. I couldn't believe it and how lucky we were to have each other. So I walk in the room and then everyone's looking at me, which no one warns you about when you get these jobs is that everyone's staring at you all day. And so like the first day I did it, my neck went out of kilter for a week. But so I had just, my other show had been canceled and it had been like three and a half years of battling to get this show on the air. And so I walk in the room and I'm, I'm ready to give my little speech. 
And I just started crying uncontrollably. Like I, I couldn't, I was like, I, if I try to stop, I'm going to cry anyway. So I just, I'm just going to let myself. So there, these people have all taken a job with me. And then it's like, and this guy just came in and started crying for like 10 minutes. I can't believe I haven't heard that story on the other screen. Yeah, I try to keep that quiet. We want Goldie to keep working in the business. We don't want, we don't want the rumor mill to start doing its thing. I do remember that's always when, and you know, I've started a few shows and seen them uh, be canceled. That's, with my first one was canceled, is it's such a heartbreaking, it's not just, it really isn't just, oh, I'm losing my show. It's, I've hired 140 people yeah. and it's a fantastic team and you've now got to tell them they're all about to lose their job. And I remember standing on the soundstage, it was a live action show, just thinking like pinch, literally like pinching myself because I knew if I cried, <laughs> it's one thing to cry when there's good news. Uh, yeah, there. I think I, I remember my uh, farewell speech at dad. I think it was uh, sayonara suckers, <laughs> something <laughs> no, like that. Somebody, you told, I've said this before you... on, on, the, on the podcast, but yes. you said something very funny, which yes. you came to the stage and we knew you'd been meeting with Kevin Riley and we knew like, this probably isn't good news. And, you know, you got up in front of everyone. And you said, look, I, I wish I had better news, but the network just can't keep doing this anymore. And, you know, I know we had been contracted for eight more, but we're just going to end up doing this one. And um, guys, don't worry. Wellesley and I are going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> got to let them know. Um, I want to I circle back, though, to something that Goldie rightly brought up, which is, not only are you an incredibly successful writer, showrunner, creator, but you do have this this unmatched, I would say, certainly in writers that I've met, unmatched ability of being like a Toastmaster. And as Goldie touched on, I've never seen anyone read, you know, run a read through the way you do with the stage directions, how fantastic you are with them. But I want to go to one particular moment in our history, which, which always makes me laugh and was 100% your idea. So I want to get your memory of the Oxbow incident. Uh, well, <laughs> so, we, I will proudly say that when they were talking about the 350th at Family Guy and their first, and who knows who I'm throwing under the bus at the studio, but they first called and said, we're thinking of doing something memorable and celebratory. And we'd like to put a bust of, you know, within the, there's a Napoleon Dynamite statue on the Fox. We'd like to put like a bust of Peter Griffin. I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, that, Here's another idea. We were going to put like a Family Guy sundial on the plaza in front of the commissary that, that people would literally walk across. I was like, yeah. how is that's like a joke? And I said, just as a lark, I said, well, why not a mural? The Simpsons has a mural. And I was at the Simpsons. And, and to their credit, it proceeded. And they, in fact, did. And Peter Shin, I know, had a big hand in designing the uh, what's up there. And so at the 350, at the dedication of the mural, they asked, we did not ask, because we knew Seth was speaking. They asked Alec if a Alec and I would speak, and we met in my office trying to think of what we could. And I, I'd worked on that lot for many years, and it is on the sounds, it's The Simpsons, it's The Sound of Music, it's Star Wars, and Marilyn Monroe. And then yeah. there's four guys on, a hor on horses, right? black and white. Yes. Black and white even. And it's like, what, is, and I was, what is that movie? It's the Oxbow incident. Like, what? Why is that on the... So I said to Alec, I think we should just, instead of saluting family, let's just 
make it all about the Oxbow incident. <laughs> yes. And we both say, we don't know anything about that. I remember this. We don't know anything about the Oxbow incident. And so we went to uh, Wikipedia and we read it. And the first line was, set in Bridger's Wells, Nevada. The yeah. incident is a tale of cowboys, cattle, and corruption. And I said to Alec, I said, all right, so what should we say about it? Alec said, we're going to say that verbatim. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and when Alec said that, it was... Well, that was that was such a it was such a great idea, and I just remember being so happy that we had a successful bit for yeah. that for that moment. And it, but so that goes to the point that you're just you're excellent at that, and I know that you have officiated many weddings, and you you people love when you get up and speak in front of them. But I want to. I've been divorced. <laughs> hey, let's get all the credits out there. <laughs> so the wife didn't love the little uh, funny speeches quite as much. I talked too much, thought too much of myself. Blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So uh, let's let's turn back the clock a little bit because, um, as you like to say, probably weekly in the room, you went to school in Cambridge. Uh, so no, I know. I do, let me be clear. Rich never brings that up. I like to give him shit about it as though he does, but he does not. So you went to Harvard and tell us a little bit, because I know you were friendly with like Conan and Greg Daniels. Greg Daniels and Conan were two very close friends of mine then. And, you know, to this day, and, you know, they were, they're both really grounded, wonderful people and have remained so despite their tremendous success. Yeah. And that's who they were back then. You know, Greg was a very, uh, if you know him, a very sort of thoughtful, and I don't mean like remembering birthdays, but just thought through things seriously and, and, and how to make something better. And Conan was, would he just the most instantaneously inventive guy just yes. jump up. He couldn't, con- I mean, in his, you know, legs that started, you know, at my head <laughs> and just stride around the room as he's coming up with ideas that just, I remember thinking, okay, that guy wants to be a comedy writer. I, I think I'll go to law school. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's a different energy. <laughs> so, so now this, this is the next interesting part of your, your story is that you know, you had these guys around there and I'm sure they were all writing for the Lampoon and, you know, putting their packets together and getting ready for the next step. And but you didn't go that way. You did go to Harvard Law and went into the law. Now, was that something I take it that there was a certain element of family pressure about that? I think, but, yeah, I think. And also <laughs> yeah, dating myself when I graduated from college in 1985. Yes, it was not the same kind of clearly lit path to comedy in Los Angeles. And, you know, over the years, I think it's lessened significantly writing for the Lampoon as I did, as Conan and Greg did, is almost like a credit. People, there was a period, I think when I started in 90, at the end of 93, 94, it still, it helped that David Merkin, who hired me at The Simpsons, well, I think it probably factored in, he thought, oh, Greg and Conan did that and they were funny. Right. Um, but back then, you know, Mike Reese and Al Jean had written for The Tonight Show and it was no, how did they get that job? No one else we knew had done that. And that was 5% of it. The 95% is my mom. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I knew that I just, about you. I listened to myself talking. No, you're like, what is what, this bullshit? What, come on. Like, yeah, let's bring out Occam's razor here and, and we can end this. <laughs> and, and my mother, who, you know, I thankfully doesn't listen to podcasts, 
<laughs> the thing that I love about her is she is to the outside world a just the most calm, intelligent. She's a, was a law school dean, and inside there is a certain traditional graduate school is a necessary thing. And she always used to say, literally, you know, get your law degree, and you'll have that to fall back on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Right, but get your law degree, be a lawyer your whole life, then you'll have that to fall back on. At at my mom's, at my dad's 80th birthday, my mom begged me to go to law school. (laughs) I'd been doing stand up five years. I think I was like 27 or 28. Goldie, I was I was running King of the Hill. I'm not joking. And my mother had gone to an ABA Bar Association national meeting and had bumped into a partner at the law firm I had worked at during a summer of law school. And my mother said, you know, I saw Norm at the ABA. I said, oh, that's nice. He, Do you know he said they'd still take you back? <laughs> I was like, uh, no, it's not happening. This, it's the not Jewish that. mothers. Although, of course, I know. I'm just saying, <laughs> were you so inclined? Oh, God, <laughs> Jewish mothers are going to Jewish mother. Just yeah. always, they yeah. cannot... Cannot I stop. mean, do you ever just get like an in-your-face moment and go, this has worked out so much better than the other thing could possibly have worked out? Yes, and, you know, she 90% of the time is happy that I'm happy and takes pride that I'm a working writer. But, it, you know, it's like that old Jackie Mason routine about every Jew you know, he's a partner. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'd be yeah. able to say, uh, yeah, he's a partner. a partner at an automotive shop. He's a partner. <laughs> Well, now, but you say that it's turned out better for Rich, but I don't bet against him as attorney general. I would not (laughs) bet against it. I think, well, because now let's talk just for a minute about that, because as, as crazy as that statement sounds, you, when you did practice the law, you worked in Manhattan's Southern District, which is pretty much the most famous district for law aside from, you know, DC in, in the, in the country. As as the immodest people who work there always note, it's the it's older than the Department of Justice. It started the Southern wow. District of New York was predates the actual Department of Justice, so it's considered. But partly, not to get boring, the U.S. Attorney's Office prosecute crimes in their location, and so if you are in Manhattan, you have Wall Street, the mob, media, First Amendment. I mean, just yes. naturally, the stuff you're yeah. given are going to be the cases that a lot of people at least are going to be interested in indicting a billionaire. There are more billionaires in New York, you know, right. so it gets a lot of attention. Well, now, and I seem to remember, and, and of course, we can cut anything if there's something you don't want to talk about, but I seem to remember you had, some of your work had to do with the Russian mob. And I will remind uh, you that a lot of our listeners are in Chelyabinsk. So <laughs> be careful what you say. I love that. I said it right. No. Well, with the grand jury, I'll edit myself so that, no, I did, I, I did prosecute one of my earlier cases. I will, so one of my earlier cases was against low-level members of the Russian mob. And my yes. mentor in the office and friend was Jim Comey, who went on to be yeah. director of the FBI. Yeah. And Jim would give me, frankly, all the crap cases of the low-level thugs who he needed to be prosecuted get a conviction so they would then want to cooperate against the higher ups. Right. And my grandfather, a, you know, refugee who had left Prague in 1940, just as it fell, came to the, and he was a lawyer in Prague. He came to the courtroom and 
the first four rows of the gallery were filled with Hasidic Jews. <laughs> <laughs> and then during a recess, my grandfather said, in all of, and he had a drink, in all of New York, there are no other criminals to prosecute. <laughs> <laughs> a proud Zeta moment. <laughs> I do remember, uh, I also clerked for a wonderful man, still a judge there, named John Walker, very patrician. His first cousin is George W. Bush, you know, George Herbert Walker Bush. Right. Walker was the uh, brothers of George Bush's mother, son, and very patrician Roman senator looking was, as he would readily admit. Sure. And he was sentencing the Lubavitch, head of the Lubavitch uh, sect, who had masterminded a $135 million tax fraud. It was, and the courtroom was just filled with, and he'd been convicted with his son, a junior overeager <laughs> rabbi. <laughs> and, and, I still remember Nathan Lewin, who was one of the premier defense lawyers in New York, representing the senior rabbi, stood up and called at the sentencing hearing a scholar who went on and on about all the senior rabbi's good works, which sounded legitimate and many. And he ended it by saying, after 20 minutes of testimony, I just want you to know I'm a Talmudic scholar. I did yeshiva. I am not half the Jew as Rabbi <laughs> At which point the senior rabbi's lawyer sat down, the junior rabbi's lawyer stood up and said, I won't be long. You said you're not happy. The Jew, the senior rabbi, would you say the same of my client? Him, I'm a better Jew. That literally. <laughs> that's, on, that's on the record. That's on the record. Him, I'm a, with a hand wave. Him, I'm a better Jew. That's great. <laughs> this man is facing jail and did go to jail. He still couldn't lie. This guy was not going to say, Jew. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, so now, okay, so you have this successful and, and seemingly exciting career in the law. So what, what, tell us the process, what drew you to Hollywood, and as we know, your your first show was The Simpsons. So how did that happen? Well, it I hate, most writers hate cliches, but I know I'm not the only writer who grew up on reruns of The Dick Van Dyke Show. And Love it. Paul Ryan was my hero, that show I can quote from beginning to end. And the idea of being a comedy writer, I love, my father appreciated comedy. And, you know, my first movie was a Laurel and Hardy movie he took me to at a revival house. And growing up, it mattered. We would watch old movies. And so I knew I loved the idea of being a comedy writer. And in high school and in college with, you know, the yearbook had some funny captions. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nobody, knows, nobody knows that. But uh, <laughs> so I always had that as something I wanted to do. And I think it helped in an in a important way to have a job at the U.S. Attorney's Office it was great and it was exciting. And they used to, I remember the moment when you'd leave the office, a few months later, you'd come back for the celebration, a roast, whatever it was. And I remember one of them standing there and listening to the guy who had left, who was back near tears with what this had meant to him. You know, I hadn't, the best job I'll ever have in my, and I liked it, mm -hmm. but I knew this is not that for me. And there is something else that I've always wanted to do. If I hadn't had that other desire that I was intimidated by, I mean, you know, the thing I left off the first part of the story was it's scary to yeah. put your, as you both know, to be stand-ups. You have no, and, and and do you have the confidence that you can do it? And against right. that, I opened a letter that said I was admitted to a law school that 
no one would question me about going to. So it bought me some time. It's just that turned into eight years, you know, three years in law school, five years uh, working in the Southern District. And then, you know, it was pre-ish internet and Greg sent me some sample scripts. So I knew what I didn't, you know, there was no place to get a script. Sometimes in New York, I don't know if it's the case when you guys live there, on the streets, yes. you would often yep. have, I would buy mm-hmm. like whatever, a Cheers script, I would buy it just for formatting and a C. Okay, it's double space. Yeah, tap, yeah, right. Tap, tap, tap. tap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> on your <laughs> IBM. Name. Yeah. And, and then just furiously, but I also knew that it was something that I, it was the right thing to pursue because I would wake up early in the morning and work on it. And on weekends, I would start, you know, at 8 a.m. And I remember having to work a weekend at the U.S. Attorney's Office and to slow my arrival, I walked. But I lived on 110th Street. Oh, that's far. So it took me like two and a half, because I just was like, oh, I just don't, I just don't want to write this brief. And uh. <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, it's an inspiration. And I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast i mean some are in the business and but a lot aren't and i know uh you know you guys write us awesome emails at a typical disgusting display at gmail.com we love them and most people start out by saying like i'm not a writer i don't want to be a writer but and then they write and it's and it can be funny Mm -hmm. and interesting and they we've gotten a lot of cool stuff so I'm guessing there are probably a lot of people out there listening who feel like, well, I have this one job and I'd love to be a writer, but maybe it's not going to work out for me. But you're a good example of how pursuing your dream can work out. So, yeah. No, and I was going to say the most generous thing that's ever been said to me in my life, uh, I think my former wife, who's still a beloved friend, went and she didn't particularly want to come back to LA where she had grown up. She didn't really like LA. Our life was there. She was pregnant. It was a huge disruption. And when she agreed to do this, she said, you have to promise me one thing. And I said, what's that? I had a 10 week contract followed by another 10 week contract. And she said, if you're fired, you have to commit to giving it at least a year. Wow. Wow. And I knew most people would have said, if you're fired, this didn't work. We're going back. But her whole point was, and she's a writer. Her whole point was, I will do this if I have a sense this really matters to you enough that you will suffer. You will go through the stress and ins- and doubt, et cetera. And it was such a generous statement, you know. And, so nice. You know, I know. It makes me emotional. So, well, thank God. Thank God we didn't have to put that to the test because you, <laughs> you uh, went to The Simpsons and it worked out for you. Um, you were there for a few seasons and, you know, what was, who was running the show then? What was the vibe like then? David Merkin hired me, always grateful to him. Hilarious guy. Just, right. And, and he ran the show differently than you and I, and I bet Goldie run our, the shows we've run. Everyone was in one room in kind of a half moon around his desk. And back in the day, if you liked The Simpsons, it was George Meyer and Jace Richdale and, and Greg Daniels and Brent Forrester and Mike Scully. And, and Mike yeah. Scully was like, a, a mid-level, I don't mean in talent, but right. it's only been there a, a year right. before I got there. But it was just the speed of the stuff. And I had an eight-week, a 10-week contract. And when I moved out here, a six-week-old baby who didn't sleep through the night till he was two. And oh, wow. I have never been more tired. There was once when I you know, did one of these and Bill Oakley, who was also in the room, shouted out, you can't sleep here, grandpa. The bus is coming. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you. And Thanks, Bill. I remember confiding to a friend there. I said, you know, I haven't, I don't think I've said anything in these first few weeks. And I think I should, the only, <laughs> this is an act. I said, the only honorable thing to do, like Cyrus Vance, is to resign. Right. <laughs> oh, no, he really? After the failed rescue of the Iranian hostages. Uh-huh. And my friend said, no, you're doing it the right way. You're absorbing. No one wants someone to come in and know all the answers and just sit and absorb. And then a few weeks later, he said, it's week eight. You have to start opening your mouth. <laughs> and then I was just like, okay, okay. <laughs> well, it's so, first of all, you get uh, double points for two Carter era uh, references on the show, yeah. which- That's uh, why the Carson jokes are not, the degree of difficulty, I was an adult I know. <laughs> yeah, you were nailing those. So how did you, and I know you had, uh, you know, you ran your own shows on the way, you, you did AUSA, you ran King of the Hill. Tell me, tell me how you got into the Seth MacFarlane universe. I, Seth, the, when I was running King of the Hill, um, they had positioned the first writer's room for uh, Family Guy before it premiered, long before it premiered, on our floor. It was an office building in Century City. And I met Seth that way, literally like in the elevator. And he, you know, he was literally 23 and looked 18. (laughs) Right. And I don't think he would deny this. Very shy, very soft-spoken. And I think we liked, he he was clearly a smart person. I didn't know him at all well. And then I do remember on the day of the pilot table read, they came into our writer's room and they said, we need people to fill out the seats in the room. So there's labs. And so I was there at the table read for the pilot and then would encounter him occasionally. But the the most amazing coincidence is when I was in New York, because the first four or five years we'd go back and forth. My wife and son were there in the fall and I'd commute and he went to this preschool. And whenever I was there for the weeks, I would just pick up at school and and had most of the play dates with my son and the nannies of the other families. It was a fancy school. And one of these nannies I got to be very friendly with, liked enormously. And at my son's going away party, when we were moving back to LA, she came up to me very nervously, which was odd because I really liked her. And she said, you know, I know you're at the Simpsons, right? And I said, yes. She said, well, my brother, he's just sold an animated show to Fox. Could I give him your number? And I so vividly remember thinking, oh my God. But because Rachel was nice, I yes. said, of course, I gave her. But I remember literally thinking, what is that bozo project? <laughs> right, right. My Flash ahead at least 10 years to when I came back to Family Guy and I'm walking by the couches outside the recording booth and Rachel is sitting there and we do a double take. And I said, you're the Maltby's nanny. <laughs> and when I looked at her, I said, wait, that was your brother? Oh, and, amazing. And you gave me the number. I said, yes, but you should have told him to call me. <laughs> That's incredible. I love that story. It was, I just, seeing her sitting there, I was like, wait a minute. Well, so now you've been running uh, Family Guy for quite a while now. And, and one, of the, one of the best episodes in the show's history, I think without a doubt, is the Simpsons crossover episode, Family Guy Mm -hmm. Simpsons. And I know that that was basically because 
you were the glue between the two shows. And people, which I'm glad about, and I mean, certainly on this podcast, we have many Simpsons writers on here, and the the vibe between Simpson people and Family Guy people now is completely, you know, respectful and friendly. But there was a time when... Family Guy was the redheaded stepchild of The Simpsons, and The Simpsons didn't really want to have much to do with us other than to kind of like make fun of us a little bit. And we were sort of like, no, we're funny too. But (laughs) this event of this crossover episode would never have been possible without you there. So what are are some of your memories of making that happen? I, I think having worked with all those guys, that if I called and made a representation about what we would do, and they get enormous credit... Because I don't even, I'll be honest, I don't know if you and I would grant the same permission to another show doing a crossover. I said, it will be a Family Guy episode. We will write it. We will pitch you the story that you will approve. And we'll, of course, give you the script to read. But we, there was some talk, would we combine writer's rooms? And it was like, that just seemed destined to have the Hatfields and McCoys. Yes. If they were friendly. And to their enormous credit, Jim Brooks and Al Jean signed off on that and did trust us. And I still remember one of, I think one of the central moments in in that was Patrick Meegan, who wrote the episode when we were kicking around all sorts of ways to go. Another one of those Goldie moments had a one-liner that just opened up the floodgates of (laughs) what that episode could be. And it was a blast to do. And it was so it turned out so well that we expanded it to an hour long, but the table read of that episode was just unbelievable. a great, because so many, it's, it's not just the writers who grew up on the Simpsons. Many of our animators, Peter Shin, our super, one of our supervising directors, you go down, a lot of them started out at the Simpsons as artists. Right. And a lot of the writers and artists alike were inspired to do what we do because of the Simpsons. And David Silverman, who is a friend, he was a supervising director at the Simpsons and then did the directed the Simpsons movie came over. And I honestly think for free to do tutorials with our storyboard artists. And it was such a congenial collegiate environment. And you just felt that at the table read. Yes. Yes. And it was, boy, what a thrill to see like Hank Azaria and Dan (laughs) Castellaneta doing Julie Kavner you know, there at our table, you know, in my diner, it's sort of the Mel thing, but like, it was amazing. And when their mouths opened to do their characters for us, it was just a a chills moment. I got goosebumps just thinking about it. I mean, frankly, I got got goosebumps just thinking about it. (laughs) Sorry, so late. (laughs) We have Danny here for you. But it was an amazing moment. And, and, you know, Rich, we could ask you a hundred more questions, but uh, we want to say thank you for being here. We know you're going to stay uh, for the next portion of the show. But really, um, our workplace now is very awesome. And that is, you know, in large part due to your leadership style. Well, I, so. I, I will, there's no comedy writer I respect more than you. So well, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm going to take that away from Goldie in I case you made it for him. <laughs> okay, great. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's a pleasure every day, which is not oh, something that you usually say in a job, but it really is. We can um, do a part two just about King of the Hill at some point. I know. Lo- yeah. I love that show. <laughs> See, I can, I can do a little Hank. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Uh, but now let's get into a portion of our show that we like to call Top Five. Top Five. <laughs> All right. Uh, JC, this was your category. You want to remind us what we had? Yes, this is Top Five 
horror stories, horror movies. Oh, oh God, I love it now. Let me say it again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Top so... five horror movies. <laughs> okay. And we haven't done this before, correct? We have not. We okay. almost did. Okay. Almost did. Great, yeah. great, great. Um, who would like to go first? I love horror movies. I think you're the only one out of the four of us who loves I'm, horror I'm, movies. <laughs> I'm happy to jump in because yours will probably be funnier and mine are just like regular. Oh, I... okay. So number number five for me is a movie uh, called Hereditary. It came oh. out within the last 10 years yeah. and is one of the most frightening movies I'll ever yeah. see. I won't Filled see with half a dozen, a dozen images I can never shake out of my head, which is <laughs> what you can say for the best horror movie. So hereditary, yeah. crazy, amazing ending. Another movie at number four by the same director, yeah. whose name I didn't bother to look up, uh, <laughs> was called The Witch. Oh, which, these are all movies that Stu has been like, we got to see these movies. Oh, and I'm the, like, there's the, no The way. Witch is incredible, again, with an ending that will just leave you speechless. So number three is a little horror film that could, that I like to call Friday the 13th Part 2. Not only is it a very scary movie, you see Jason in the hockey mask for the first time, which is exciting. It was also filmed at my summer camp. Wow, oh, which was in in scary. Kent, Connecticut, where our Lord and Savior Seth MacFarlane grew up, <laughs> and it was filmed around the lake at Camp Kenmont, Wait, and we Seth? even had a, a pro- <laughs> yes, we even had a prop uh, decapitated head that they would bust oh. out at, on nights with around the campfire, and everyone would freak out. N- number two for me, and we're going chalk here, The Shining. And mm, I think you don't crossover. nothing needs to be said about that. And number one, also Rosemary's Baby which is not only a fantastic horror movie, it's an unbelievable movie on its own. It's just like, it, it, it hits all the bases. So that's my list. All right, Who would like to list. go next? I'll go next. And go ahead, Rich. And I'm not, I have to say, I'm not like a scary movie guy. So it's not, I don't have, I, I probably won't see a couple of those. We had one the same. Okay. My number five, Dressed to Kill. Oh yeah, Ooh. that was good. And a Palma movie with Andy Dickinson. Yeah. Love yeah, a, lot of, a lot of shower scenes. Uh, number four was Rosemary's Baby as well, so I won't say anything further about that. Go. Number three, and a lot of these these next two, I just remember the experience of seeing them, which makes them high on the list. Number exactly. three was Alien. Oh, oh yeah. I saw shoot. at the Ziegfeld Theater in New York uh, when I was in high school on a trip. I've seldom been in a theater that reacted as one when that <laughs> yes. thing came out. Popped out, yeah. Yes. Great. Number two, Halloween. You original Ooh, Halloween, never saw which it. I saw twice on the day it opened, once with my sister at a 5.30 show in an empty, the Varsity Theater in Emmsden, Illinois, a revival house with cracked wallpaper. Oh my God. There were four of us in the theater. We <laughs> left to sit in the lobby. I had a headache. Then I got home and my friend said, hey, let's go see Halloween. I went right back to 800 people, all different experience. And I could just watch my friends get terrified. Amazing. And the number one horror movie, House of Gucci, halfway through that movie, (laughs) I ran out and screamed. No! (laughs) No! As horrible a movie. I I watched that on an airplane, so I found it very entertaining because we, as we know, on airplanes, the bar is lower. Right. Uh, (laughs) Go ahead. Goldie, will you want to hit us with your... No, because I'm next week's topic. Okay, cool. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so my number five is Nightmare on Elm Street. I think I maybe saw that in the theater. Solid. Um, Yeah. My number four is Jacob's Ladder. Um, Oh, freaky. Yeah, Freaky. love that movie. It's so weird. I know. And scary. He, was dead the, he was dead the whole time. <laughs> Can you believe it? And the number, 
<laughs> number three, The Shining. Yeah. Um, number two, this is, um, I don't know, it's called Let the Right One In. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Do you know about this one? It's sort of like a horror, maybe. I looked it up. It's called a romance horror, but I didn't really realize it was like considered that. But I, it's a great movie. And my number one, this is, I was a little girl. I'd watch it on um, KBHK Channel 44, which was oh. like reruns of old movies. In the Bay Area. In the Bay Area. <laughs> it was called The Mummy's Tomb, but I always knew it as The Mummy. And I remember I was really young, maybe six, and I had seen it on a Sunday morning, and it really scared me because I had asked my dad, I said, are there such things as mummies? And um, he said, yeah, of course. So then for like the, the next like six months, I would go to the bathroom and cry by myself because I would think that the, oh, the no. mummies were going to come kill my parents. Oh. And one day he found me in the bathroom and he was like, what's, what's going on? And I was like, I think the mummies are going to get you. Oh, God. Well, it doesn't matter. I can speak from experience. Those wounds you get at five, six, they heal right up. <laughs> yeah, they never. <laughs> You're fine. They go away real quick. That was, Gold, that was Goldie's uh, uh, speech to me at a dinner we had after I got divorced. <laughs> Halfway through the speech, he said, dude, you're fine. <laughs> and it really helped. I'm sure it does. It's nice to hear that. It was nice. Goldie, what do you uh, got? I, due to my tenuous grip on sanity, I'm not much of a consumer of horror movies. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> tenuous here grip. goes. Uh, number five is Get Out. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, great I, I know it's a great movie. I'm... I know, like, I should like it. That's part of the reason I'm doing it. But I have to confess that during it, toward the end, we got a text uh, that our kid had a 103-degree fever and had barfed. So right when the cop car came, which is like the climax of the whole thing, (laughs) we left and we were sitting in the middle. And it looked like we were just so racist and offended. Like, this is not... And I'm like, excuse me, I know, I know, like, I'm with the... I get the... I understand the whole thing, but I get the child. Excuse me, my child. And... In a, in a full packed theater on a Saturday night, literally people booing us as we walked out. Number four is a movie that's out now called Barbarian by my friend Zach Krager of Whitest Kids You Know, and it's getting great oh. reviews. I know it's great. I haven't seen it. Okay. But I, I know already it's good enough to be on this list. The preview is ex- extraordinary. Cool. Uh, number three, I'm going back to my eighth grade years. Toxic Avenger. Oh, God. Oh, Has anyone know. ever seen that? <laughs> yes, I remember that. Someone, someone had it. I think there was a boob in it. Uh, <laughs> one. <laughs> number two, you can argue this is horror or not, but it's one of my favorite books and one of my favorite stories I find myself referring to over and over, which is American Psycho. Ooh, oh, wow. yeah. No, that's, okay. a, that's yeah. a great one. That's a great one. It's yeah. a really good movie, And too. number one, because I have two young daughters is the Woody Allen movie Manhattan. Oh, God. How? Just the thought of them How meeting some creepy 45-year-olds. All of a sudden. Oh, the and Jews thinking are busy that they should fighting just, amongst themselves. You know, and then, and then none of the friends stop it. They allow it oh. to continue. Railroaded. Railroaded, I tell Horrible you. Horrible horror movie. Popular the doorman movie. makes it easier. Yeah, the doorman Everyone. Helps. It's a horror movie about an entire city that does nothing to stop it. Um, (laughs) All right, Goldie, what do we got next week? Okay, for next week, it's the top five stores, products, or brands that no longer exist. Stores, products. I like that. I see Rich thinking already. He's like, I got a bum week. 
<laughs> All right. So that that's a good category. Um, thank you. Yeah. Again, Rich Appel, thank you so much. Yes. We are going to go now into the final part of our show called High Note. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'll, I'll jump right out of the gates with a high note, which is okay. when you are listening to this episode, probably, if it's next Monday... I will be back on Cape Cod for my daughter's seventh birthday, which I'm very excited about. I'm excited to be back there. I'm excited to see her and celebrate with her. So that's definitely my high note. Oh, that's a great high note. That's great. Yeah. I'll go. Sure. Uh, As of yesterday, my wife and I have been married 13 years. We have outlasted so many fucking couples. I know. We outlasted apparently... Tom Brady and Giselle Bunch, oh, no. and we keep watching as other couples go by the wayside. Yeah. And so I love you, Steph, Aww. and happy anniversary. And yeah. I just can't wait to see who else we beat next, who we take down. <laughs> wait, you guys are married twenty oh nine. That's right. That's yeah. same with Stu and I. We have thir- oh, we had wow. our thirteenth. Oh my gosh! There you go. That's a contest. Um, so. Rich was awesome. I, I mean, he's not my high note, but I just want to say that we connected this weekend and did our sound test, and he was just very, very lovely. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah, he was he's great. a lovely you, human. You see why he, he, you know, he keeps succeeding. Yeah. 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 Um, but my high note isn't about me. It isn't about Stu. It's I'm very, very happy for a coworker of mine who listens to our podcast. His name is Joe Chandler. Oh. He is a writer, executive producer on American Dad. Who, oh, thanks, Joe. Yes, he listens every week, and he <laughs> he is leaving to become a showrunner and a co-creator of his own show. All so, right, uh, good on you, Joe. Way to go, yeah. Joe. Yeah, we'll miss you, and we just we know you're gonna do really well. So, oh, great job, Joe. Best of luck. Best of luck to you. You'll never be happier than when you're running your own show. <laughs> oh, you talk to Goldie about it. Uh, all right. Well, you know, thank you, Rich Appel, again. Thank you, too, for being awesome. Thank, thank everyone for listening. And we will talk to you again next week. Oh, fucking next week? That was fun. Can you turn the alarm off? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>